In the last several gatherings, we've been looking at uh, what does it mean for us to enter in to be a community together, right? And in the last gathering, I mentioned that we could probably summarize the Christian life into two words, giving and forgiving. And we've already heard some of these themes of forgiveness this morning and what Ange was saying. Well, several months ago, we were talking and said, you know, uh, when, when after Doug taught on finances, we said, you know what, we, there seems to be a lot of interest here of talking about this idea of generosity and stewardship and finances, and what do we do with that? And so as a result of that, we began to say, hey, what if we began to focus on that and think about that? Well, I have the privilege of having a father who does that full time. And my dad, Dave Briggs, uh, is from, my, my, my parents live in Phoenix, Arizona, and my dad's on staff at a church in Phoenix um, that actually helps people with this idea of generosity and finances and giving and helping us see this is not uh, an unspiritual issue. It's actually very spiritual, that Jesus cared quite a bit about this. And so I'm really excited uh, to have my dad here teaching with us. Some of you know him. He went on our Israel trip. My, my parents uh, went on the Israel trip with us, and they've been here for other events and my ordination and other things, so you may recognize him. But I'm very excited uh, because every time I hear my dad teach, I learn something new, even though I've heard them at the same material. And uh, I think this is going to be great for us. How many of you were here yesterday for the, the Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, we had a great uh, underground seminary all day uh, and equipping time. Um, I heard words like fantastic and awesome and incredible investment of my time, which is great. So I'm excited for you to hear uh, from my dad, uh, Dave Briggs. My, my mom is here, but she's not here this morning because Bennett is sick. So she decided to stay home to cuddle with her grandson before heading to the airport this evening. Uh, so let me pray for, uh, for my dad, and, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, learn from him. And God, thanks so much for the privilege that we have to gather together, and thank you for the privilege it is to have uh, Dave with us. And Lord, as we attempt to learn what does it mean for our finances to be uh, connected to how we trust you and the joy that comes with it, not drudgery, but joy of wanting to be wise stewards so that one day we hear with our whole lives, including what's been entrusted to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, as we enter into this time, speak to us, remind us, challenge us, encourage us, and show us maybe even some myths or some misunderstandings that we've had about finances and how they relate to you and other people. And so we want to hear from you in this time. So it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so it's, it's just great to be with you this morning. I always look forward to a chance to be here. Uh, having seen kind of renew grow from the beginnings to where it is now, it's just a thrill to be here. And I just appreciate the opportunity to share with you. Um, as JR said, I'm on staff at uh, Central Christian Church in the Phoenix area. Been doing that for about seven years. And actually, God first laid on my heart this issue of understanding what the Bible says about money and communicating it when I was in my 20s. So I've been doing this for about 40 years. And my my passion for understanding and communicating this to people has only increased over that period of time. Um, as I was thinking about what God would want me to communicate this morning, um, you know, there are a number of things that, that I've said over the years that I could repeat again, but for some reason God said, no, I want you to present something that is very unique and oftentimes never spoken of with regard to money. 
And so he just kept giving me idea after idea after idea about what we're going to talk about this morning. And it is not your traditional talk about money. And so uh, you can blame God for whatever happens this morning, but it was one of those things where he said, this is exactly what I wanted you to share with Renew this morning. Um, let me start off with a question. I know you've never heard a good question from this, uh, from this platform before. Uh, so let me, let me ask you a question. If a new Christian were to approach you and ask this question, how would you respond? Why do we teach about money? And what is the primary reason that God's people need to hear a teaching about money? How would you answer that? Think about that for a minute. Um, because of my position in stewardship and what I do at my church, I've had the opportunity to get to know Dave Ramsey and to work with him and to partner with him. And uh, he's invited uh, me to speak at his conference um, over the last couple of years. Uh, but I, I will admit a sense of frustration that came about the last couple of years as I listened to some of the country's most prominent Christian leaders give their stewardship messages. And in my estimation, probably 90% of the prominent Christian stewardship leaders teach on money in a way that was not the same way Jesus taught on money. And that was something that continued to haunt me in that Jesus taught on money a certain way and our prominent Christian leaders were teaching differently. And so that was really what I wanted to, uh, wanted to dive into because I think the vast majority of prominent Christian leaders would answer, the just, would answer the question I just posed that we need to teach on money so our people can learn to give and be generous. And yet, interestingly enough, that's usually not what Jesus taught when he taught about money. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of giving and generosity. So I'm not in any way downgrading that, it's just that's not what Jesus taught about. And so that was the message that God kept, kept laying on my heart as we talked about what we were gonna talk about this morning. And so I'm gonna spend our time this morning expanding on the thought of what Jesus really taught about the majority of the time when he taught about money. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but shortly, shortly after J.R. and Meg uh, were married, they lived in Colorado, and I specifically remember when they had an opportunity to buy a red Jeep. Remember the red Jeep? And I remember J.R. saying, nobody drove a red Jeep until after I bought a red Jeep, and then as if overnight everybody was driving red Jeeps. And I wonder if that has ever happened to you before, where once you focus on something, you see something that was always there, but you never saw it before. Well, my red Jeep moment came when I realized that the primary biblical message about wealth was not what we were teaching. What I belatedly recognized was that when Jesus taught about money, he taught money as relationship. And once I saw that clearly, 
Red Jeeps were everywhere in the Bible that Todd talked about money. So before we dive into that, and I want to go into that in more detail, I do want to briefly talk about six biblical principles that form what I call a theology of money. Because we have got to develop that foundation of a theology of money before we can begin to build things on top of it. So I'm just going to run through six major principles that have helped me develop my personal theology of money. First is that God created everything and still owns everything. He never gave up the title. And we see that in various places like Psalm 24 and Deuteronomy 8. Secondly, God has entrusted to each of us the responsibility to care for and manage wisely his stuff. He is the owner, and we are the managers. Next, God does not need our money. Think about that. If Jesus could tell Peter to go and pull out a fish, and in that fish's mouth was a coin, he clearly doesn't need our financial help. Number four, God cares deeply about how we are handling money and possessions and is watching us and holding us accountable. Number five, when God's word teaches about money, and this is key, so I want you to listen carefully about this. When God teaches, when God's word teaches about money, it is primarily for our spiritual benefit and not the recipient's financial well-being. And number six, our relationship to money always impacts our relationship to God and our relationship to others because money is never neutral. Money will either draw us closer to him or it'll take us farther away. So the large banner that I want to hang over our message this morning is this. God cares far more about the impact money has on relationships than on bank accounts, buildings, and budgets. And as a quick example of that, familiar verse in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and give your gift. Jesus says, first go and get the relationship right, and then give your gift. Relationship is the priority. Money always impacts relationship in one of four ways, and that's the framework that I want to talk about this morning. Money always impacts relationships in one of four ways. There is a vertical aspect and a horizontal aspect. The vertical aspect says that it will either draw you closer to God or it'll take you farther away. The horizontal aspect says that money will either draw you closer to others or it will take you farther away from others. And all four of these are displayed prominently in God's word and, and in the teachings of Jesus. It would take us all day long to look at every one of them. But what I want to do is just highlight some of them that fall within each one of those four cases. So in Luke 16, we overhear Jesus speaking plainly when he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, 
or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a familiar verse. In fact, it may be too familiar because a lot of times we get so overly familiar with the verse that we miss the real power of what it's saying. See, even though this translation uses money, the actual translation that we see in the King James Version of mammon is actually a better translation. Money is just something that you use a tran as, a, as a transaction, but mammon has a, has a greater sense to it. Uh, see, mammon describes more the powerful force that money has to influence your thinking and your actions. So when Jesus was talking about uh, the contrast between God and mammon, he was really talking about the contrast between two powerful forces that have the desire and ability to influence your thinking and your action. And what Jesus is challenging each person to do is to choose which one of those forces is going to influence your life. It's either going to be God's influence or it's going to be the influence of mammon. But the key word here, and this is the word I think sometimes we miss, is serve. Jesus did not say you may prefer one over the other or you may favor one over the other. He uses the term serve because to serve is to have a unique and intimate relationship with the one being served. Mammon desires such a strong relationship with individuals that they would turn aside from a relationship with God. And whoever or whatever you choose to serve becomes your primary relationship. Another familiar passage makes this point in the parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. Before leaving on a trip, you'll remember the master entrusts three servants with large sums, large differing sums of money. And he asks each one of them to steward his money wisely. We pick up the narrative in verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. What I find interesting is the positive relationship generated between the master and the servant based entirely on how they handled his resources. Not only does the master commend the servant, but he's invited to share in the master's happiness. And this parable is a representation of the connection between our relationship to money and our relationship to our heavenly master. A few verses later, we realized that uh, things didn't go so well for the one who was unwise with money. It damaged the relationship with the master simply based on how the money had been used because money is relationship. Another example, we're allowed to eavesdrop on an interaction among friends when Jesus and his disciples visit the home of Mary and Martha. In Mark 14, we read, 
beginning in verse 3. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman, and we know this woman to be Mary, came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Mary's relationship to Jesus was far more important than her relationship to money and it brought her closer to the Savior. On the other hand, and this is interesting and sometimes we miss this, on the other hand, the disciples totally missed the point. They saw money only for what it could accomplish and Jesus called them on it. Leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Money as relationship. The impact of money also has a huge impact on our horizontal relationships, as we've seen in others. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is a good example there. In Luke 10, you remember a man was robbed and beaten on the road to Jericho, and a priest and a Levite happened to pass by and didn't, didn't stop to help. But beginning in verse 33, we read, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Think about that. It was the hated Samaritan that used his oil and his wine and his wealth to build a relationship with the one that needed help, a relationship the religious men wanted no part of. Similarly, in Acts 2, we see the early church displaying the same understanding of the power of money and relationships. Beginning in verse 44, we read, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. See, they enjoyed the favor of all the people because they built relationships by using their resources to meet needs. Money is relationship. In all of these cases, a healthy relationship to money became a powerful tool to honor God and to make a difference in the lives of others. But by far the most dangerous situations are when our relationship to money damages our relationship to God. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, we read, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, the issue is never having money, but it's the relationship to money that damages the relationship to God. The love of money was stronger 
than the love of God. And in Matthew 19, we read about the encounter Jesus had with the man we call the rich young ruler. The question this young man asked was not illegitimate. Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus engaged him kindly in conversation, but then rattled him with a challenge. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus was forcing him to identify which relationship was stronger, the relationship to money or the relationship to the Son of God. And in what may be one of the saddest sections of Scripture in verse 22, it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. Simply put, he was not interested in giving up his relationship to wealth, and it cost him his relationship to the Son of God. Money is relationship. And as we saw in Acts 2, many in the early church were selling their goods and sharing with those in need. And as a result, the church grew and their relationship to God did as well. In Acts 5, we're introduced to a husband and a wife team by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, who also participated in selling some of their land, but with completely different motives. Their unhealthy relationship to money caused them to hold back some of the proceeds and to lie to the Holy Spirit with deadly consequences. See, their relationship to money was stronger than their relationship to God, and they paid a very heavy price because money is relationship. As mentioned earlier, a wrong relationship to money also hurts our relationship to others. One example is found in Luke 16, and this is the passage we refer to as the rich man and Lazarus. Picking up uh, in verse 19, it says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The same, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. See, the rich man never took advantage of a golden opportunity to use his wealth to build a relationship with Lazarus. Lazarus was sitting just outside his gate, and yet he bypassed that opportunity to use wealth to develop a relationship and tragically discovered it, discovered too late just how much that cost him. And in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, beginning in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. See, the unmerciful servant's selfish relationship to money blinded him to the opportunity for a compassionate relationship with his fellow servant. So having identified just a few of the many biblical examples of how relationship to money impacts our relationship to God and others, I hope this can become a red Jeep moment for you. And that those red Jeep moments cause you to hear biblical teaching on money with a different set of ears. Before I close, let me ask you another question. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to become instantly wealthy? If you did have that experience, what do you think you would do with the money? And how do you think it would change you? Actually, very few people have had that experience, but interestingly enough, it happened to us. It was 1979. My wife, Debbie, and I had been married for four years, and JR was just a baby. I wanted to get started early on a college fund for our new son and asked around about various investments to get us started. I settled on an investment in precious metals, specifically silver. A friend suggested buying a silver futures contract that would allow us to control a large number of ounces of silver with a small initial investment that would grow until a maturity date when the silver would be sold. So I invested a savings of $5,000 in a silver contract in July with maturity set for the second week of January six months later. To make a long story short, Within weeks of our investment, the silver market went crazy. Over the course of a few short months, the price of silver went from $7 an ounce to $50 an ounce. And with each passing week during our six-month contract, silver rose and our profits skyrocketed. Our $5,000 investment became 15, and then 25, and then $50,000 and continued to accelerate from there. In the course, or as we approached our six-month contract date, our contract had amassed over $100,000 in less than six months. Now, to put that in perspective, in 1979, that amount represented five times my annual salary at General Electric. So to put that in today's perspective, we, we were owners of roughly a quarter of a million dollars and we were not yet 30 years old, and we had experienced instant wealth. I distinctly remember 
that Debbie and I had committed to give away a significant portion of our profit to God's work. And I can honestly say our instant riches did not trigger real greed in either one of us. We felt good about our decision to give generously from our newfound wealth. The interesting part is the rest of the story. A few weeks before our contract was to expire and our huge check would be coming, we were notified by federal officials that the company holding our investment had just declared bankruptcy. We would not be receiving our $100,000. In fact, we would not even be getting back our initial $5,000 investment. We experienced instant wealth and sudden loss all in a six-month period. In analyzing what happened, we reached the conclusion that God had actually protected us by taking away our newfound wealth. Not because it created greed in us, but to avoid a far more dangerous issue. Our money had caused us to subtly assume that our wealth offered us a measure of protection and safety from life's ups and downs. And in feeling rich, caused us to lean on something other than God. In his wisdom, he protected us because our attitude of financial independence was hurting our relationship to him. And he cared more about that relationship than he did about our giving, our generosity, or our ability to fund kingdom ministry. And we learned early on that money is relationship. And by the way, just as a side note, five months later after that, we moved to Puerto Rico. I got transferred and we looked around and found a house that fit our needs perfectly. And later we were told that the owner of the house had been presented with a second offer the same day we had made an offer. And it turns out he accepted our offer instead of the other offer, even though it was exactly 5,000 higher than our offer. Once we learned our lesson, we feel God gave us our $5,000 back. So let me bring this in for a landing by asking you two very important personal questions. In what specific ways is your relationship to money impacting your relationship to God? And in what specific ways is your relationship to money impacting your relationship to others? And if you were challenged to write down your responses to each question, what would be on that list? If you leave today with only one thing, remember, God cares far more about the impact money has on relationships than on bank accounts, buildings, and budgets. And my challenge today to each one of us is to own this truth and build a relationship to money that will build a stronger relationship to God and others. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the way that you have provided so much to us, provided more than we need in most cases, 
And you have been so gracious to us. And I just pray, Father, that we will, we will have the wisdom to be able to see money and its impact on relationships, our relationship to you, our relationship to others. And I just pray, Father, that money will be a positive in our life as we use it to make a difference in ways that draw us closer to you and others. And so I pray that for us today and each day as we go forth to be the people you want us to be. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.